0: Welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, the latest on shares, markets and investments. Now available on your Amazon Alexa.
1: Hello and welcome to the UK Investor Magazine podcast, now also available on the UK Investor Magazine mobile app. Today's podcast is going to take the format of a discussion of equities, uh, both here in the UK. We're going to touch very briefly on US equities. To do that, we're kindly joined by Alan Green. Alan, thank you very much for being on the podcast today.
0: Thank you, Jonathan. Good to be back.
1: So we have a number of stocks that we're going to discuss, but let's just start off by looking at global equity markets, in particular indices. Uh, Yesterday, we saw the S&P hit record highs. Uh, Of course, the FTSE 100 is nowhere near that at this point in time. How much of that do you think, Alan, is is down to um, the, the 10 stocks? Well, of course, it's, it's very much down to the top 10 stocks uh, listed in the United States, those being uh, the, the largest tech stocks. Um, I mean, do you think this is setting up um, global markets for a period of vol- volatility? Because we're starting to see these tech stocks be seen as defensive stay-at-home shares, when really their valuations on earnings basis are being pushed up to astronomical levels? I think if you're looking at Tesla, for example, it's above 900 times earnings, which on a historical basis for equities is ridiculous. Yep. What's the risk of there being a correction in these 10 stocks that then follows through to the rest of the market um, as there's a, um, a, a wave of fear um, that these um, stocks that are perceived to be defensive in this uh, this new economy that we that we're living in starts to have a contagion effect in, in other markets in the, in the United States but also here in the UK.
0: There's always that risk, Jonathan uh, and um, that's something that as investors we we just have to live with. but I mean we can turn the clock back uh, two years, five years, ten years and um, people have been saying the same thing about the US markets, for uh, throughout that time, that it's overvalued, um, technology stocks are fantastically valued. But the one thing we do know is that um, they do exhibit defensive qualities. And um, we've seen so many times um, uh, market analysts scratching their heads at the, at the apparent uh, at the apparently meteoric or, or astronomic valuations uh, that these stocks have um, and there is a retracement uh, only for people to buy into that retracement and, of course, drive the stock higher. So um, the, there is a seeming disconnect, of course, between the earnings capabilities of these companies and and their valuations. Um, <laughs> but interestingly, you mentioned Tesla there. Um, I don't think I've seen so many Tesla cars in the past few weeks. And, in fact, there was an article um, – and the motoring magazine saying that how Tesla, the the, uh, the Tesla uh, hatchback that I think is the most common one that we see on the road, is one of the uh, one of the best selling uh, saloons uh, or cars of quarter two. So I think people are really buying into the technology. They're buying into the EV technology, and of course um, Tesla epitomises that. Uh, and I, I have to say, you know, getting out and about, I'm seeing a lot of these cars on the road. So of course that is translating into sales for the company, even though the cars are expensive. So there's some reality, I think, in that bottom line. But um, of course, yeah, uh, the the risk is that um, we do see a large retracement in the markets. Um, we're hearing about 7,000 job cuts at Marks and Spencers. Retailers are suffering. Um, I've said in previous podcasts that I think uh, uh, other sectors will see um we'll we'll see either rejuvenation or a surge in activity we're seeing a lot in the junior mining sector i'm going to talk about a couple of companies in that area in a second um uh so 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 really i guess you we could be seeing a shift in emphasis um in terms of profitability and growth potential from one sector into another at this time um but yeah the risk is always there but um just to say we have seen this before and we've come through it.
1: So we're starting to see the narrative in financial markets shift towards the US elections. Yes. Does this become the most prominent issue for financial markets if we start to see um, polls coming out showing Biden in front and there's going to be a change in the White House? Or do you think that really markets are just going to be focused on the amount of liquidity that's going to be pumped into this system and the fact that we're still living in a pandemic, which by uh, by the recent stats, you could argue we're at the beginning or in the midst of, of a second wave um, in Europe, um, especially obviously in the United States mm. as well. What do you think is going to be dominating markets? Obviously, it's very quiet uh, in August. Not a lot of uh, of movement out there, particularly in the FTSE 100. Yeah. Where's the attention going to shift to in the coming weeks?
0: Well, I, th- I think uh, we're seeing um, that there's still a lot of activity in the US markets, and and obviously a lot of the activity during quarter two was from COVID stocks driving the driving the markets. Um, but also, we've seen a, a new wave of investors arrive. Into the markets as investors, and of course, a lot of these people have come in maybe seeing the stories from companies like NovaSight and Vactor, um, and so on. And, um, bought that they bought in maybe early in the cycle, and of course, they're seeing these phenomenal gains, so, um, that means they have additional money to invest into the markets, and a lot of them really probably weren't investing or trading six months ago, and they're now making money um, in, in the markets, which, of course, is, is a great thing. And, and, and that's what the markets need going forward. Um, but certainly, uh, if you look at the comparisons between the Nasdaq, for instance, and FTSE and AIM, um, where companies have a dual listing, um on the Nasdaq market, their market cap will invariably be much higher, simply because they have that exposure to to investors and traders that um, use a whole different set of dynamics over there. They're prepared to accept valuations. They look at biotech companies, for instance, in a different way. So, um, so while that appetite is there, and I think, and I think you know, there is a lot of latent liquidity. In the markets, potentially, uh, I think we're going to see a big surge of investors coming back in in the autumn. But of course, that will be that will be limited by um, the impact of the recession for the job cuts, uh, companies going bust and so on. But equally offsetting that whilst the government uh, continues to provide the levels of financial support, and I'm talking governments around the world that they're doing, then that's also going to provide um, provide uh, drivers for the bulls as well. So um, you've got this incredible mix there, um, which way is going to go at the moment. I I, I still think we're I still think we're, we're going to drive higher towards the end of the year. I think, regardless of what happens, I, I, I think the bulls have the upper hand at the moment. But um, I'm sure, I'm sure someone could come on here and uh, tell me I'm completely wrong.
1: Indeed, uh, I mean, we, we're starting to see that with the podcast. We've got lots of different views, and that's what makes a, uh, a market. So I'm yeah. sure we'll those subjects uh, again, Alan. But let's move on to the shares that we're going to discuss today. Now, let's start with. One that we have discussed in some detail in the past in Bidstack. Now, the last time that we discussed it, I said, if Bidstack don't make significant strides with revenue this year, it's very likely that it's not going to happen for them at all. So we've had the interim results yesterday. So for the six months to June, end of June, they only generated £274,000 in revenue and that's despite increasing their headcount to 62 and raising some £5 million during this period. What's happening there Alan?
0: Okay so as you rightly say um, the, the company generated um, just well, 278000 during the period um, and uh, it's um, but but there's there's a there is an underlying story here and i know uh, and i know from when we've spoken before the um you you're you you, you you've been very much sort of uh i believe um cautious and uh, 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 um, in your outlook on the company so um they the, the company had an oversubscribed fundraising 4.2p Earlier in the year as well, they've got just under six million cash at the bank, uh, which is what they had the sum last year. Um, but they've made big strides forward. Now, this the technology, it's It's the native in-game technology for advertising, for advertising in gaming. And of course, the marketplace worldwide is enormous. It's 138 billion and growing um, rapidly rapid growth in mobile gaming and uh bizzac have created a platform that is uh that is agnostic in other words it'll work on any platform and advertisers can serve messages onto these platforms so it's opened up a whole new dimension in advertising in gaming um during the uh First half of the year, the, uh, the company um, uh, announced a number of agreements. It, uh, it's on the on Codemasters, next generation games for Xbox and P- PlayStation 5. Um, the uh, the, the company has already worked and uh, generated revenue from brands, including Activision, Audi, the BBC, Football Index, MG Cars, Penguin Books, Shell, Subway, Unilever, Vodafone, uh, Warner Warner Brothers, and, of course, uh, Volkswagen. So it's worked with it, a huge array of blue chip bands already. Um, of course, the, uh, the what has really held the share price back um, and in, indeed limited the progress of the company, and I'll go back to the point I made about NASDAQ stocks um, earlier, Jonathan, I think if Bidstack were... On Nasdaq, we'd see the company with a valuation at 100 million plus already, but that's just my personal opinion. Um, but uh, of course, James Draper, the CEO, made statements uh, on financial uh, uh, um, uh, forecasts last year, which were proven to be incorrect. And on the back of that, some well-known shet uh, shet sh- websites have engaged in what I can only describe as a character assassination of the CEO. And yeah, the guy. Got it wrong um and and these things happen and uh i'm not uh, excusing him for one second but the fact is that um uh, the character assassination was undertaken in order to drive the share price down um now the, uh, the by the same token uh, james draper has also attracted an incredible advisory board to bidstack these are people that are key players in the gaming industry worldwide and are keen to develop the this what will be a new revenue stream for them into the range of platforms out there, so, and they have they now have an advisory board that reads like a who's who of the gaming industry. So you know they, they've achieved an awful lot in that time. Company has broker support too. Um, uh, uh, in fact, uh, uh, um, uh, 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 Peterhouse Capital uh, basically have uh, an eighty million. Uh, um an 80 million market cap valuation for the company which puts it at just over just over twice the uh, the current valuation which is currently at 30 million with the shares at 7.7p uh, um and indeed uh, broker stifel have published uh, a note um with an initial 8.5p target Um, massive pent-up demand they say in this um, but that's uh, that initial eight and a half p target is discounted from a 20p discounted cash flow target going forward so um, great things are expected from the company and um, James Draper said he was very cautious in his statement but he said the that due to the work they're undertaking due to the uh, due to the programs and the uh, platforms that are currently in operation, second half, the, the uh, revenues will be very significantly um, weighted into the second half of the year. So, as you rightly say, Jonathan, they need to generate revenues. They're, they've they made some progress um, in quarter one, but um, uh, the stage is set for them to really blaze a trail in quarter two. In, yeah. in the second uh, half, rather.
1: Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I think you're going to have to, because looking at... Uh, the balance sheet and the cash flow, they've raised this money and burnt about half of it already. So what's the risk of further shareholder dilution, Alan, before they do start to see significant revenues coming through that supports the ongoing operations of the business?
0: Well, Well, there's always that risk. And of course, it's a technology business on the evolutionary curve. And clearly, it never goes in a straight line. We've already seen the uh, some of those revenues, the bigger revenues were expected last year. But the um, this is the platform for the industry, and I think um, the fact that the advisory board are in place that represents um, all corners of the gaming industry is is uh, evidence enough of that. Um, uh, and the platform works. It's been tested. It has um, it has, has received certification from various uh, bodies within the gaming industry so it, it's a uh, the, the technology i think is proven as much as it can be but of course it's generating a new a new model and a new market so they've had to work out pricing models how they charge for it how it works the impact it has and also you know advertiser satisfaction as well in regard to the the returns that they're getting from it so there's a, they've spent the year addressing these issues um one other thing too, um, the company hasn't said as much, but um, there is, uh, there is uh, a, a lot of information out there on the internet and a lot of the screenshots that have come back from Bidstack platform in testing show EA games, so um, EA game titles. So... Um, I would imagine probably that uh, the uh, gaming companies have said, yeah, we'll, we will test it, but we don't want to be named in your statement to the markets. But um, uh, a number of people in the know who know about gaming say that, um, that the testing is taking place uh, on a, a number of EA gaming titles. So clearly they're talking with the biggest players in the market at the moment and working with them. So, um, yeah, it, it's second half weighted. Uh, if I can get this away, I think we've got a you know, the company could be potentially huge.
1: Yes, I mean, one thing I would say that there there are some competitors coming through for Bidstack as well. Um, Maybe actually maybe a little bit more established. uh, Companies such as Anzu, uh, a privately held company received backing from WPP and Axel Springer operating very much the same business as Bidstack. Just to finish off on, on Bidstack, Alan, what do you think, The potential is for two players to operate successfully in this space, given that big stack haven't been able to to gain much traction so far. If there's going to be a competitor out there, is this a market that's dominated by one company or do you think there could be two or more operating in this space, given the, the nature of the gaming market?
0: Well... Firstly, it's, it's a um, the market's worth one hundred and thirty eight billion and growing, so there is plenty of space for a number of players in the market. Um, but clearly, BidStack were the first to market with the technology. Um, and if there are issues, the technology needs to be um, um, modified, changed, tweaked, whatever. Then then it will be. Um, but uh, yeah, I, th- there's always the risk of competition that the company that's first to market with a product will always face the risk of competition, and competition is healthy because it drives the, the it drives the, um, the the people building the platform to achieve greater things, to modify, to innovate, and um, that's that's the nature of the beast. So, yeah, I, I'm sure James Draper would welcome competition, and uh, certainly the, the sheer size of the market means there's plenty of room for a number of players. I believe.
1: Fantastic. So one that I'm sure that we'll revisit again when we get a little bit more insight into the numbers. So moving on now, Alan, we're going to look at a company, again, the one that we've discussed previously in Cadence. Uh, But again, there's been some recent developments with them. What's happening over there?
0: Well, Cadence has had quite a week, um, or quite a couple of weeks, actually, uh, in regard to uh the uh the, the the most recent developments with, with the company um i i I'm, i i did a research talk at the weekend and i spent i went into cadency in a great deal of detail but um i'm not going to go into the same amount of detail but uh suffice to say i i want to update on the uh on on the most recent announcement and that was in regard to the uh to to, to an update from the from the creditors um and what the company said was that um, it has basically reached agreement with the bank creditors for the Amapa iron ore project, um, which will then trigger the release of the Cadence escrow monies. And once those monies are released, Cadence will become a 20% shareholder in the Amapa iron ore project with the rights to uh, to own up to 49% of, of, of the project. Now, there are still some final details to be um, hammered out with the with the creditors, but uh, the fact that a plan a plan has been agreed is is huge. And also, um, I, I'm obviously talking about uh, Amappa to start with. I'll, I'll then cover briefly the other the other projects that the company is engaged in. Um, so there is a a, a a stockpile of iron ore at the Sandtown port in Amappa, and what, what Cadence will own at the end of this um, is the Amappa iron ore mine. The railway, uh, which they now have um, their right to run the uh, to to transport the ore from the mine to the port, and they also own the the, um, the tailings on the port, um, which uh, which are, th- th- there's something like um, there's something like a uh, a stockpile of sixty million tons on the port, um, and the, the, well, the value of the uh, the sh- the tailings on the port are worth some hundred and seventy six million dollars in the current market. So. Um, once that money is raised, it's going to go back into uh, in, in, towards recommissioning the mine and and redeveloping the mine. Um, once the mine is up and running again, um, and uh, and the railways uh, set up and running, um, it will be um, generating some five five point three uh, million tons of iron ore uh, uh, per annum, um, and uh, that will generate EBITDA for the uh, for the owners. Of a hun- some hundred thirty six million dollars, so all all of this all of this is set against the context of a company that has a market cap of just nineteen million as we speak, um, and it, it it would be it should be higher much much higher on the Mapa project alone. Um, but of course Cadence is a mining investment company, and it has a number of different uh, investments in a number of other projects, w- which I'm going to cover briefly. Um, European Metals Holdings uh, owns and operates the Sinyavek uh, lithium and tin mine on the uh, German-Czech border, and um, European Metals Holdings uh, has entered an agreement with CZ Group, which are a massive Eastern European utility, um, and they are going to develop. Uh, uh, they're going to develop the mine. Uh, drilling is is underway at the moment. Um, European Metals Holdings uh, Cadence Minerals stake in the company is worth some. Just under five million uh, sterling as we speak, um, and of course, uh, once that once the the mine is developed, and also CZ have plan, has plans to build a gigafactory, a battery factory in the region too. So once once uh, that progresses, then of course, will uh, I've no doubt, that stake will rise higher. Um, the company also has uh, SK also has a a, a small stake, two point two percent, in Macarthur Minerals. Um, who are developing the Lake Giles iron ore project, and this is a, a huge project. Um, now, for reference, um, last year, Cadence, uh, 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 Macarthur Minerals announced it had uh, struck a take-off deal with with Glencore um, to to basically take the iron uh, ore or buy the iron ore from the from the project, um, and that um, that uh, 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 deal is estimated to be worth some ten billion dollars. Um, over uh, over 10 years. so uh, Sorry, some $4 billion over 10 years. Got my numbers on there. MacArthur um, uh, also has um, is working with FE Limited uh, on a, a joint venture in the Pilbara region. Uh, it's a gold, copper and manganese project. Um, and again, Cadence has a stake in that that uh, is increasing in value. Um, but they are selling down some of these stakes in order to fund the, um, the Mappa project going forward. Um, there is a uh, the company owns 30 percent of the megalith and Mexalit projects in the um, in the Sonora uh, lithium project in Mexico that of course is run primarily by Bachanora lithium um, and and uh, the those those projects although they're outside the Sonora um, project itself they are close enough by um, that of course they will be integrated in at some point um, uh, Keynes also has three other projects, uh, uh, three lithium projects in Australia. Um, that's uh, and P- 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 the, it's called Picasso, Litchfield, and Alcuta. Um, wholly owned lithium projects, and they're all near to um, historical mines and uh, and um, active mines operating in the region. So, that portfolio of projects, as I say, um, should put uh, Cadence many times uh, where it is now and of course I I didn't mention also the Yanjibana project as well the Yanjibana Rare Earth project operated by Hastings Technology Metals where Cadence is a joint venture partner with a 30% stake so you put those projects together um, the MAPA project alone uh, um, dwarfs any of these in terms of its value to the company um, But uh, not only that, the IMAPA project out there by itself dwarfs the current market cap of Cadence Minerals. And um, whilst, you know, um, I think we can all look at targets and look at historical performances. Um, Last year, on the announcement of the MacArthur Minerals uh, uh, take-off deal with Glencore, the Cadence uh, share price jumped intraday to 40 pence. So realistically, Given the share price action over the past week, I think that's the, going to be the first um, the first stop for the, the Cadence share price uh, um, over, the, over the next few over the next few months. And clearly, once we have confirmation that the terms have been accepted and the escrow monies is released, it could go an awful lot higher. It, either way, if you're in Cadence now, you're in for a very exciting year.
1: So, with the Cadence, Alan, do, do you think? that investors are paying more attention on the the projects or do you think there is some concerns about external factors such as the price of Avon, which is actually um, at uh, at some of its highest levels this year.
0: $34 a tonne, about
1: Ex- Exactly. But do yeah. you think there's concerns about any... Um, lack of demand coming from China that may be sort of dampening demand for shares
0: in in Cadence. It, it, that's an interesting uh, point. Um, I think the I think the issue with um with, with iron ore currently, and it, it's like a, a a lot of the precious metals too. I think there's a resurgence of interest. Um, and I've said this on on, on several occasions, but I do believe that with the with the with the, the the monetary stimulus packages that are being uh, that are being employed by governments around the world, um, we're we're seeing a gradual reduction in value of fiat currency. So hard commodities, um, tangible commodities such as iron ore, such as gold, will see their prices uh, remain buoyant and 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 push higher. And of course, with iron ore, there was a bit that the had the uh, Valley uh, dis- uh, Dam disaster. Uh, in at the bhp mine in brazil last year and um, that that created a squeeze in the iron ore price um, And certainly post covid the uh, china's consumption is, is expected to continue and grow let's not forget it's a huge burgeoning country and you know there are cities springing up um all over the country and uh, requiring huge amounts of raw material so um i, I yeah if there is a sudden upset in the iron ore price that would of course change things but the, uh, the the factors in play thus far i don't believe we're going to see that for some years to come
1: fantastic so alan let's finish off uh with a company and you mentioned precious metals there now this is a precious metals focused explorer uh in panther metals now, looking at a chart of Panther Metals, that it's had a tremendous year thus far. Uh, we've seen sort of lows around the sort of two to three p level. Currently trading at just beneath ten p. What's the story there with them?
0: Okay, so this is a this is a, a company um, with a with a very strong board. Um, Run by Darren Hazelwood, uh, who actually is a former investor himself, very thoroughly nice chap. And and I I I think what I like about Darren is he's running a company uh, with absolute transparency and communicating with investors in in the way that as a, a retail investor or a private investor you, you'd ideally like to see in all your companies. So he's doing a great job there. Of course, we've got Karen Cena, Karen Cena, who's the ninety uh, second chair. Um, Twenty-one years' experience in the industry and of working with a- Ariana Resources, of course, um, and then uh, a, a number of uh, number of other people on the board who are known in the in- industry as well. So Panther Metals PALM is the epic code. Shares are trade as high as thirteen and thirteen and uh, three quarter p on the year and as low as one point eight five p. Currently trading at uh, ten p um, with a market cap of um, of just five and a half million. Um, so. To, two key focus areas for the company. Um, firstly, in Ontario and Canada, um, the company is focused on um, gold uh, on, on gold across a range of projects that it's developed uh, through the year across what's called the, uh, what it calls the Big Bear Project. Um, this is in the Schreiber Hemlow Greenstone Belt, uh, which is 43 square kilometers um, uh, and is close to... Um, close to an active mine, the, the Hemlo mine, which is run by Barrick Gold, which has produced 22 million ounces to date. Um, Sampling has uh, taken place uh, across there. Um, and also uh, um, the the, the, uh, the company's state claims to uh, an area called the Dotted Lake uh, region. Um, a number of claims in that region, uh, which increased... Um, by 135 additional claims um, over, over the past six or eight weeks. Uh, and it's increased its land holding for the company as a whole by 346%. Um, so it's acquired these these, pro- these projects. Um, now, just to uh, obviously, Canada is a vast country, second largest country in the world. And these projects are, uh, are set over a huge, huge area. Um, and one of the challenges faced by any small mining company. Is that you've got all this fragmented data lying around Um, with modern mining techniques um, and sampling and and the the desktop uh, programs that are available to these companies they can actually draw this data together and put together a plan to get to the uh, get the metals to to undertake the sampling and then of course to 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 get get the uh, get the, the metals out of the ground so um, Darren Hazelwood has, has um, articulated this very well throughout the year, and that's um, that I think is has attributed to the significant increase in the share price and the and the nascent value that uh, investors are seeing in the company. But uh, regardless of that, you know, with these this vast number of claims uh, uh, across the Big Bear project, we still have a market cap of just five and a half million. And I think once we start to see. Detailed soil sampling and um, and uh, um, samples, uh, so we get some grading uh, of the gold in those in those samples. Then we're going to see it progress even further. So that that's the that's probably the primary area of interest at the moment. Um, and uh, the company also has activities in Australia, uh, namely the Marakai Gold Project um, uh, and the Anaberry Gold Projects, both in the Northern Territories. Marakai is uh, seventy kilometres east of Darwin. It's a ten-kilometre square project um, near the near Tom's Gully, which is an active gold mine um, and has produced one point one million tons at uh, just under nine grams per ton of gold. Um, and also close to Russell's Roost, love that name. <laughs> Fifty-one million tons uh, again, uh, a lower grading there, but um, that that uh, Russell's Roost is owned by. China Hanking Holdings. So, um, so again, it, it's active and producing in that region. Um, also, they, they found a thirty ounce nugget, um, uh, peak grade fifty and and peak grade at the Russell's Roost mine of fifty grams per ton. So, um, they they're developing this project, uh, and uh, we'll will we'll no doubt have more news on that in the coming months. Annaburro is um, is also near the uh, it's. Uh, It's 100 kilometres southeast of Darwin. um, And again, it's um, about 18 kilometres away from Tom's Gully and Russell's Roost. Um, uh, Also, the Donkey Hill Prospect, which is nearby, I love the names in Australia, um, uh, was identified by Newmont Mining. Of course, uh, Newmont Mining, uh, one of the largest mining companies in the world, Australia-based. And that prospect generated 61 grams from 750... 50 grams per tonne from grab samples taken in that region. So highly prospective. Um, and also the company's noted a lot of uh, very high mineralization at the sur- at the surface. So um, Darren has said that uh, they're going to be working these projects to get a greater understanding and also assist in precise targeting. Um, so that's the progress of the company to date. It's well-funded, um, $950,000 in the bank, which included 130000 from a non-broker placing, and also to progress and develop the dotted late properties in Canada, it raised a further 250000 at 6.5p. So clearly investors participating in that placing will be well pleased with with where they are today. But as I say, even so, we still have a market cap of just £5.4 So I think there's a lot more to come from this company, and uh, I think it's uh, set for a great year.
1: Yes, and I think one thing that demonstrates this company's ambition is at the beginning of this year, it, uh, it moved, it is listing from London's Junior Aquis Exchange, which at the time was, was the next exchange, yeah. uh, to, the, to the main market uh, of the London Stock Exchange. So I think that, that demonstrates where this company wants to be and the growth uh, ambitions that they have. So an interesting one to, uh, to touch on there, Alan, and I'm sure one that we'll, we'll touch on uh, again, given that underlying story. Indeed. That uh, we've had there. So, just as a, as a recap, we've discussed today um Cadence Minerals um (KDNC) bid stack uh, with a ticker of BIDS, and a just to finish off there um Panther Metals with a ticker of PALM. Alan, thank you very much for discussing these equities with us today.
0: Thank you, Jonathan.
1: Fantastic. So um, just, uh, just as a note, if you're listening to this on the, the website or the podcast player, um, this is also available on the Amazon Alexa if you have ones to do download the skill. Thank you very much.
0: We hope you enjoyed listening to the UK Investor Magazine podcast. Please do share the podcast and we really value any reviews and comments you leave us in your chosen podcast player.